The Essence of Tea, episode 42. Welcome. You are listening to the Essence of Tea podcast, where we share about the world of tea with you. From tea tastings to tea history and culture to tea education, health, and wellness, the Essence of Tea is your tea companion through your personal transformation and growth. I'm your host, Jenny Jie. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Essence of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Che, and today I have a wonderful guest with me, Jane, with Champagne Hills Botanical. Hi, Jane. Hi. Hi, Glad Jane. Um, yes, thank you so much for, for joining us. You're from Vancouver Island. Is that in Canada? Yes, that is in Canada. So I'm below you on the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a big island. It's not a small island, um, but that's where I am in the middle of it, sort of on the east side. Nice. And um, tell us a little bit about your background, what you do, how you got into what you do now. Um, well, like many people, I think my background is rather diverse and I've dabbled in many things. But my interest has always been nature and plants and the natural world. So, you know, I went through a lot of educational pursuits in environmentalism and recreational studies and that type of thing. But my heart always lie in herbalism and holistic nutrition. So when I got old enough to finally tell my parents, you know, no, I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> I finally started pursuing my own interests and I opened a business called Champion Hill Botanicals. And I have a little shop, so I sell herbal remedies and all sorts of things that I make out of my store. And I teach local workshops and events. And then I have a number of different groups and work with people one-on-one -on -one as well, mainly in that side in nutritional coaching. So, that's a little tiny summary for you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, and this is why I was so interested in having you as a guest, because you do more than just selling products. Mm -hmm. You have created your own products. They can be consumable with you yeah. know, the nutrition side, and they can also be topical, too. Yeah. And yeah. most people forget that your skin is the largest organ of your body. Like, anything yeah. that's topical as we know in medicine and in science, that is such a strong way to absorb things to cause a reaction to our body physiologically to help us mm -hmm. with different problems. And that's, it shouldn't always just be topical, but also pairing it with the internal process of things. It's always our holistic way of living. And that's what's so interesting about people like us who are interested in nature and yeah. interested in natural medicine. I mean, everything from nature has a health benefit, you know, whether it's slightly toxic or diuretic, it does something, it has some sort of function and it's mm -hmm. been given to us. And, and we, if we educate ourselves, like you as an educator is like, you're letting people know what they can do to help themselves. So mm -hmm. I know that you sell different things in your shop, but also you might sell different infusions, plant-based materials and created things also topically. One thing that we do have a lot of listeners who are interested in, of course, the health benefits of tea 
for a tea podcast yes. is that even yeah. though we don't always talk about tea as the camellia sinensis plant of green tea or white tea, a lot of people are interested in the herbals or the tassans in mm -hmm. those different plant-based things, which is a completely different category. There's so many different things that all these different plants, which are completely different, do. So yeah. one topic I normally get is um, psoriasis. And we actually haven't had that topic covered yet. But you were talking to me earlier about that and how that has to do with more than just, you know, an outward skin issue. Do you mind explaining what psoriasis is? Sure. Yeah. Psoriasis is probably more common, I think, than most people are led to believe, mainly because it typically manifests in areas where the sun doesn't shine, we'll say, but like often in the extensor surfaces, so the inner area of the elbows and behind the knees and maybe on the shins. So we don't see how many people actually suffer from these conditions. But what it is, is it's a chronic skin condition and it results from what's called hyperkeratinosis, which just basically means um, abnormal cell division. So you've got the basal layer of the skin at the bottom, which is, um, how do I describe it? It's just producing skin cells the way it normally does, like but at pushing the top, up. Yeah. pushing up, yes. But at the top, it's, it's not shedding normally. So instead of forming like a callus, the way a person might form a callus when they get a keratin buildup, it gets these scaly silvery sort of scales um, and it's uncomfortable for one it's itchy because it's not shedding so you've got a rapid skin growth and it's all scaly it's itchy it's dry um, but what can also happen because the body is having to metabolize all of these byproducts from this excessively rapid skin growth is those people often do experience gout so that's something oh. that you might hear as well um, within your community, um, these people who have psoriasis might often experience gout, which is because the kidneys and the liver are having to work extra hard and they don't know, they don't have the capacity to deal with that uric acid. So that's what gout is, is when you get those crystals building up in your extremities, your fingers, your toes, that type of thing. So basically in a nutshell, there's an imbalance in the mechanisms that control normal cell division. That's what psoriasis is scientifically, I suppose. Well, no, that's a great explanation because then it gives you the reasons why it's doing it. Now, when we know as like scientific, you know, people in the science world, yeah. <laughs> and not everyone who's listening is in the science world, but you and I could probably geek out on, you know, <laughs> physiology and stuff all day long. It's like, when you find out how something works, what is psoriasis? Why does it occur the way that it does? You can reverse engineer that to find possible triggers or reasons yeah. why it's occurring, right? So let's backtrack it a little bit. So, you know, we, we know a little bit about how psoriasis works as a general term and why it causes the pain or inflammation or flaky or itchiness, which itching is just a low grade pain. Um, yeah. Yeah. But going back to it, like, why is it occurring? What What is it that's triggering it? What are some explanations of how to fight or prevent or help aid those 
symptoms of psoriasis? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it, it's, I don't think I mentioned, but it is an autoimmune condition. And autoimmunity is when the body, the body's immune system is attacking some part of itself, whether it's its own cells or its tissues, which is what's happening in the case of psoriasis. And any type of autoimmunity involves a state where the tissues of the body are hot and inflamed, like you just said. And that basically means if they're hot and inflamed, that's due to overreactivity. Something is overreactive. And like you were saying, those triggers, what is triggering that overreactivity? It can be something from outside of the body, but it can be something that's happening inside the body too. And, you know, it's not really clear on what it is. You know, for some people, they have a genetic marker, but for some people, it can be something totally different that just happens in their life. It can be a traumatic experience. It can be chronic and ongoing stress. It can be a food sensitivity or like an allergy that you're not aware of, but you keep consuming that food over and over and over again. So it builds up and it spills over. And that's what can trigger the autoimmunity. Normally, that type of tissue state heat excitation does happen in mucous membranes. So that's like your digestive tract or your respiratory system or your urinary tract. So in this case, in psoriasis, typically that inflammation is happening in the GI. So like you're somewhere between your mouth and your colon, you're having that inflammation. And then that's going to spill over into other parts of the body. I'll just stop there in my long explanation for a minute. <laughs> you want to add anything? <laughs> well, no, and it's so interesting because like your GI tract, it is so long. I don't know if you remember like from elementary school and they say how many times your intestines can wrap around the world or something it's like that. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, people don't realize it because it's all self-contained and we don't see it. So it's almost like yeah. out of sight, out of mind. And it's the same thing with food. If we don't realize there's an ingredient that's triggering something and it's going to cause this buildup and then a reaction, then um, we, we don't know how to stop it, which is very, very fascinating. And I was also thinking while you're explaining about that, like the mucus um, that is like the, the flow, the fluid in your body yeah. that some yeah. people don't even realize because they are chronically dehydrated, they're exaggerating oh, yeah. so many other things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because you need that water hydration for those systems that require juices, essentially. Like, what do you think the juices came out of? Uh, like, uh, the combination of hydration that we're <laughs> consuming in our body. For and sure. Yeah. And so it's so crazy. I mean, especially with the seasons changing right now from spring into summer and people like, you know, they just think, oh, it's allergies or it's just this or that. And you're like, well, you have to realize the environment is changing around you. Yeah. And and that's going to greatly affect how your body reacts on, on the inside and how much mm -hmm. you're going to have to change that diet, that nutrition from mm -hmm. season to season. Yes, you know, absolutely. So it's very, very fascinating when you're saying that I'm just like, oh my goodness, these people who are chronically dehydrated too, like on top yeah. of this, because no, how is it even gonna work if you're dehydrated? You have no fluids, it's dry. <laughs> in yeah, your that's a really big, that's a really big part of it. And that definitely can contribute to um, 
I guess we'll call it stagnation almost. So if you just to try to summarize everything that you said and that I was mentioning, but if you have say that inflammation going on in your gastrointestinal tract, what happens when you become inflamed might go off on a little side tangent, but tissue degradation happens. So it gets hot, it gets thin, it gets irritated. And that's what happens when people get leaky gut, which a lot of people don't really understand what leaky gut is. But if you imagine like your intestinal tract should be like sealed tight, but then you get these little gaps that open up in it. And that's not supposed to happen. Your GI is supposed to be sealed. So you get a lot of movement between your GI and like the interstitial fluids of your body. And then the liver is suddenly overburdened with having to like detox all of this other stuff that's leaking out of your GI, which could be bacteria that was on the food that you ate, or it could be bacterial overgrowth because a lot of people have what's called dysbiosis from maybe a diet that's, you know, got too many processed foods in it and maybe too many refined carbohydrates. Um, so you have this liver stagnation that's happening and it's not able to detoxify the body properly. And so what you were saying before is the, the GI and everything on the inside is a reflection of what's on the outside and vice versa. So if you've got all this stuff going on the inside that you can't see, and it's not um, eliminating properly out of the, say the kidneys or the liver, or even the lymphatic system, which is doing a lot of work cleaning up cellular debris, oh, it's gonna start coming out on your skin. Like you were saying, it is yeah. a pathway of elimination. So if you see eczema or acne or psoriasis, first you have to go, okay, what is happening on the inside of my body? And like you were saying, reverse engineer it and try to figure that out. It does definitely take some sleuth work, <laughs> but it can be done, can be done. And it's easier, I feel like it's easier if you can already make certain factors like um, stabilize. Like if one of the things is like, okay, I'm dehydrated, but how am I going to find out what it is? Well, then get hydrated, get mm -hmm. hydrated and then start looking at those individual factors from there, because then at least, you know, your body systems can work optimally. It's like yeah. going and picking a bunch of sugar snap peas off of the vine in your garden, putting them mm -hmm. on a tray right and having them integrated together right but yeah. if you leave it on that tray and they have not been hydrated because they've been removed off the vine and they're just sitting in your kitchen for over a week they're going to shrink and that's where you yeah. get the gaps yeah you're those gaps because it's dehydrated it's shriveled and it can't yeah. even move the stuff correctly so when people say like leaky gut they don't even realize it's because your gut has shrunk a little bit kind of because it's like pruning you know yeah. and, it, and it's having a harder time working it has to do with that plumpness that hydration so awesome yeah. those there's are actually, great things there's a few there's like a few key things that come up a lot of the time and for psoriasis um you know i put my thinking cap on and i came up with a few things but definitely some of the things that really apply to many many conditions are always adequate hydration always that's like number one thing that i talk to everybody about is the list off the issues that they're having and i can ask two questions right off the bat 
how much water do you drink? Tea is good. Coffee, yeah, not always the greatest. It can actually be quite dehydrating over time and drying, but like water, people think that because they're drinking coffee all day, they're drinking, but no, it's not quite the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is how much sleep are you getting? Um, people will say, I'm tired all the time, I'm tired. And then they say, well, I sleep about five hours a night. And I'm like, <laughs> well, maybe if you were to address your sleep, everything else would start improving. So yeah, I think that's probably one of the number one things. Some of the other things are, you know, try to look at other triggers that you might be having in your life, try to repair the damaged tissues, like replenish your body with nutrients, and then rebuild a stronger system. So looking at some of the key things that we just talked about, um, inflammation being one of the top ones, you need to cool that down. So if you want me to provide people with a couple of herbal examples, these, yeah, that'd can, be be, great. these can be used as teas or you know, nutritional supports. There's lots of ways you can use these plants, but cooling plants are plants in the rose family. So there's things like hawthorn berries, rose hips, rose petals and lemon balm. Those are three really simple, easily obtained categories of plants that are very cooling and they really reduce inflammation very effectively and they taste great. So anybody can make a little tea blend out of those three things and drink it all day long. <laughs> and um, for the digestive tract, first, if there is dysbiosis and there pretty much always is, I mean, in everybody, because we're all stressed out in the world we live in and stress is one of the key triggers for so many different conditions. So try to manage the dysbiosis. And the other thing to do with that gut lining that we were talking about is to tighten it up and like soothe the inside and allow it to heal. Because if it's been inflamed, there's going to be little nicks and scratches. So plants that can do that are things like plantain, um, calendula and go to cola. Um, and you can make those as teas as well, or you can even juice some of them. Go to cola is actually traditionally drank in India as a juice. Um, and it's a salad green too, and plantain as well. So these are foods you can even put in your salad or your pestos or, you know. Oh, plantain, like the thing, like in Colombia, they use it kind of like their pestos. No, no, plantain is a, geez, I just harvested a bunch yesterday. It's a weed. It's from Europe. It grows absolutely everywhere. We have two kinds, broadleaf plantain and narrowleaf plantain. And, um, yeah, geez, I wish I had some fresh. I okay, just so it's different off. than the other thing that looks like a banana. It's not a banana. It's a okay. green. It's a green leafy herb. Okay. Um, um, plantago. That's its Latin genus name. Plantago major and plant plantago lanceolata. Okay. If you were to look it up. And then, of course, herbs to support your digestion. So things that are carminatives that are soothing and help, like you know, ease bloating and gas. So those are things like parsley and basil and really common culinary herbs can do that. Then there's the liver and gallbladder part that we also talked about when stagnation happens in the liver and gallbladder. So again, the plants that can really support those pathways of elimination are pretty common. Um, dandelion root, organ grapefruit, maybe that's not so common, but I'm pretty sure that would grow near where you are, I would guess. It's a 
Pacific, well, you're not Pacific Northwest, you're higher up, but perhaps it's around you. And um, milk thistle, that's like the number one herb for liver support. And then you wanna support those digestive juices, which you also mentioned. So bitters can be really helpful. They can be harsh on some people because if you do have some damage in your GI tract, they can really stimulate digestive juices like hydrochloric acid in the stomach, which can then, you know, <laughs> have a snowball effect a little bit. But if you balance your bitters with your carminatives and a bitter would be something like gentian, you can, you can balance them out because bitters are cold and carminatives are warm. So the things I like to recommend to people that are gentle bitters, which you probably know lots about are things like chamomile and um, even lavender. And then there's some other ones that maybe aren't so commonly known like mugwort and motherwort and skullcap, but those are great because they're nerving. So they calm your nervous system down too, which a lot of people with psoriasis have psoriasis because they're chronically stressed. So I hope all of these things are not giving you too much information because the last category that I'll last mention finally is the lymphatic system. And that's the one that is, you know, if you're sick, you get those swollen lymph nodes in the mm -hmm. side of your neck. It's just because they're all clogged up because they've got too much cellular debris they're working through. So you want to help move that along. And you can do that by bouncing on a little trampoline or doing self-massage, you know, dry brushing towards your center or making teas out of things like red clover and calendula and cleavers again is another that's probably the best lymph lymphatic support plant that one's best used fresh um, but it's very abundant in many many places and um, burdock root again so i'll maybe stop there because i know i've listed <laughs> off a whole i've listed off a whole bunch of remedies but i tried to really choose the ones that were the most gentle and the most widely available to many many people so what is your personal opinion? I know this, I'm kind of putting you on the spot on this, like, That's okay. versus, you know, because for me, I believe very much like the least processed that it is, the better it is for you um, mm -hmm. in the chain. So even though I'm a tea company, I sell dried tea leaves. But mm -hmm. I, I personally always try to tell people like, don't go buy parsley tea, literally go to the produce section, buy real parsley and yeah. just eat it you will get yeah. way more of the benefits. So what's your opinion on, you know, these people who are steeping all this as a tea and that as a tea? For me, I know with that drying process, you lose some of those nutrients, those essentials, mm -hmm. that potency through that. So what is your opinion about, you know, suggesting the most potent way to consume these plants? Yeah, I think, I think fresh, the fresher, the better as well. And I definitely always recommend people to eat some of these things absolutely you can go and get parsley and basil and plantain it grows everywhere here and i always put those types of things in whatever i'm cooking in the kitchen if i'm making salad i'm like dumping calendula blossoms all over it um and as for teas yeah the fresher the better for sure so i dry loads and loads of plants for tea and i make sure that i keep those teas moving along so they don't sit for a very long time I also make herbal salts, which are powdered, but I don't ever powder anything until just before I'm going mm -hmm. to blend the salt 
because then it's exposed to more oxygen and it's going to break down. So the only benefit really to um, herbal teas and drying them first is that you can make them really strong. So that's the difference between, and I mean, you've probably talked about this before, you know, just a plain old steeped tea and an infusion, a herbal infusion in the herbal world is something that's made with an ounce of dried plant material and a quart of boiling water. And an ounce is a lot if you're weighing dried plants. I mean, if you were filling a quart mason jar, and I don't have one, but I've got a big old water bottle here, you know, that's almost this much. So if you had red clover and you had to dry it and grind it down and weigh it, you know, that's a lot of red clover, but you are getting a much higher dosage of the yeah. plant. Mm -hmm. So if you actually are suffering with, you know, something fairly severe like psoriasis that can be uncomfortable, you might want to make sure that you're getting fresh plants that have been dried. But I also drink a lot of teas fresh. Like I go out and pick lemon balm in my yard and I just stuff it in a jar or my teapot and I just pour the water over it and drink it that way. And it is nice. It tastes different. It tastes more yeah. refreshing and invigorating. And yes, yeah, so I personally kind of do all of the things. <laughs> mm -hmm. For sure, because you have to look at it as a holistic approach. That's why I try to tell people very much like if you can make this stuff yourself, don't go just, you know, the easy grocery store aisle of whatever kind of ground mm. up tiny pieces who knows how long it's been sitting on the shelf from that company maybe it has a date that yeah. says best buy but most of the time it's something that's like pretty low quality and if you're needing it for a result you need yeah. to find the best quality it's not always about pricing the best quality isn't always expensive because it literally could be in your produce aisle and yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't even realize, or you could grow it in your own garden at home. Um, well, you think about dandelions, right? You know, I see a lot of people on Instagram and various places drinking dandelion tea, but they have like a little tea bag. And I'm thinking that is not really going to do anything to support your liver if that's what you're trying to do, because I mean, that's not a therapeutic dose. It's ground up roots from who knows where, mm -hmm. and it's probably taking over your backyard right now. Yeah. Um, so things like that, you want to do a decoction. It's when you simmer it for a longer period of time, and that mm -hmm. simmering really helps pull all of the nutrients and stuff out. So yes, I go out into my yard and I've got a weed patch. I just let it be my weed patch and I pull my dandelion out of there and my cleavers. And so I can use them fresh whenever I want them. And it's really not that hard. You just have to kind of plan oh, yeah. it, right? If you can go to the store, you can also go to your backyard. Well, and it's probably cheaper just to walk to your backyard instead of driving. Totally. To the store. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So awesome. So what are some other things we should consider to just overall ongoing immune support of ourselves? What are things that we should take care of? Like what are some considerations well, to have overall good? Like we might not be suffering for, from psoriasis, but yeah. what should we be doing? I think, you know, the most important thing are things we've really talked about is sort of taking a look at your diet and I'm, I don't like being neurotic about people's diets, but making sure you are eating 
whole foods, a diverse amount of different foods, you know, try to branch out and explore different things, get lots of fiber, drink lots of water, try to stay away from too much stimulants like caffeine. It's okay in a you know, limited amount, but some people drink coffee all day long. Or um, energy drinks. <laughs> energy drinks, yeah, energy drinks, that's a good one. Um, cigarette smoke can be pretty hard on the body so you know stay away from that and really just manage your stress response a lot of people really get stuck in the trap of having to accomplish all these things which maybe they don't even personally really want to accomplish but they're just stuck in a bit of a hamster wheel and take a step back and maybe take another look at your life and see if you can shift things around a little bit so you're taking care of yourself and actually filling your own cup, right? We often running on empty all the time. So I think for the immune side of things, it can be pretty simple. Eat lots of foods that are high in zinc and selenium and vitamin C. Those are three super important things for the immune system. Zinc can be pumpkin seeds, selenium can be Brazil nuts, vitamin C, you know, people always say oranges, but I think rose hips and the peel of the orange is higher in vitamin C. There's loads of wild foods that are high in vitamin C. Like I eat tree tips all the time, Douglas fir, grand fir, hemlock, that type of thing. Yeah, we have spruce tips here. Oh, yes. We don't have too many spruce here. I got a little container gifted to me and I've got just a handful left, but I chop those up and I put them on every single thing I eat, basically. They just give everything a little bit more flavor. Um, and then let's see, there are certain things that can help regulate the immune system. Those are immunomodulators. Simple ones would be things like reishi mushroom and turkey tail mushroom and elderberry. And those are also pretty safe for people with autoimmune conditions because they're not autoimmune boosters, mm. which people with, you know, autoimmune conditions do have to be careful of because it can push them towards that state of overreactivity. Whereas a modulator is actually helping kind of regulate things. What would you uh, say about an adaptogen then? Where does that fit in? Adaptogens are really very fatty, <laughs> not fatty, but as in a fad. Um, adaptogens, what they do is they, sort of allow the body to keep on going even when the cup is empty already. So people go to adaptogens kind of in the same way that they go to grab that energy drink. Mm -hmm. It's it's as if they think like the ashwagandha is going to make them just keep on going indefinitely, but it's not like there is with adaptogens, the risk of crashing and burning at the end. Well, and that energy, as we know, in the digestive system comes from something else that's been transformed yes. and people that's don't right. realize that. Um, like my background is sports medicine. So that's why I know about that. So when people are like, oh, well, I, I take this adaptogen and that adaptogen. And I said that energy technically yeah. came from something else in your body. That's right. <laughs> and you have yeah. to be careful about that. I always say it's better for people who, you know, maybe take an adaptogen just to get through something quick, but make sure that you actually replenish your nutrient stores afterwards. And if you are feeling stressed out, it's better to go to the nervine plants, 
that are actually nourishing and supporting your nervous system. So milky oats, that's like the best plant for your nervous system. It's a trophor restorative, which means it actually can rebuild and restore damaged tissue, specifically the nerves. So yeah, you can keep on going in a way that is calm and balanced instead of like, ah, someone who's totally wired, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because so, well, you can only be at this level for so long before you crash. Totally. Like, everyone totally. has a limit. Yeah. Even yeah. if you're used to this and this is your new norm, um, that is gonna you're going to crash at some point. It's gonna come out some way in your body and how yeah. you react in life, personality, or physiologically. Somehow yeah. it's gonna come out. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So I don't use those very much at all. I get asked about adaptogens all the time. I don't really have any in my shop. I use Devil's Club. That's probably, it is considered an adaptogen, but I don't use it frequently. And I only use it for, you know, special cases, really. I think of it more in terms of an energy plant, um, which I won't get into because that's a whole <laughs> yeah, different yeah. conversation. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So Jane, how can people find out more about you? You've got given us a lot of great information. I know you said you teach about um, nutrition and, and things like this. How can people find out more about you? Well, let's see. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all the places. My name is the same everywhere. It's Champagne Hill Botanicals, and it's actually Hill without an S. Oh, okay. Um, but that's okay. Um, so I think on Instagram, I'm champagne.hill.botanicals, Facebook, Champagne Hill Botanicals. I just started a TikTok account, which I'm totally not good at. I'm working on it. But that's basically the best way to find me. And my website is www.champagnehillbotanicals.ca. And yeah, you can see all of my events and workshops and things like that are posted basically in all the places. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jane, for coming on the Essence of Tea podcast. This was a great discussion. I, I know we could have gone on forever. Yeah. <laughs> Although yeah. what we could talk about with botanicals. We might have to have you come back on some other time too in the future. Absolutely. But yeah, and I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode on the Essence of Tea podcast. If you really enjoyed this, could you please share it out with someone you know who could really benefit? I mean, education is key, but implementation is even more important, taking that action to live a better, healthier lifestyle and to affect that in your family and into your community and the rest of the world. So thank you everyone for joining the Essence of Tea podcast and we can't wait to see you on our next episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to check us out online on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can watch us film this podcast live, ask for questions, and maybe win some cool prizes. Don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe to Sipping Streams on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram.